Welcome to the Vineyard Cleveland podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For further information and other resources, please visit vineyardcleveland.org. There's a little island off of the coasts of Italy called Sardinia. And Sardinia is just a wonderful place in the middle of the Mediterranean. It's like the Caribbean of Europe. It's like turquoise water, beautiful beaches, uh, uh, European vacation destiny, just a beautiful, beautiful place. Sardinia is a really unique place uh, because it is, uh, the, it is host to more uh, centenarians, those who have lived over a hundred years, like by ten times than any other place in the world. It's so unique and it's ca- that it's caught the attention of the globe. Like, what are you guys doing there in Sardinia that people are living so very long? I mean, by far, more than Europe, more than North America for sure, South America, no other place do people live as long than in Sardinia. There's some pictures here that we've got, and you'll see them there. The longevity that these people enjoy in Sardinia is just amazing. And in 2017, this woman, Susan Pinker, she's a social science columnist for the Wall Street Journal, gave a TED Talk. And she did a whole bunch of research, and she discovered that (laughs) these people just all are centenarians. Like, why the disproportion? Why this island? It wasn't the olive oil, she found. It was not the sunny climate. It wasn't the gluten-free diet or the, the personality types. Here's what it was. It was the quality of close personal relationships and face-to-face interactions. She concluded her TED Talk this way. I quote her here. Building in-person interaction into our cities, into our workplaces, into our agendas, sends feel-good hormones surging through the bloodstream and brain and helps us live longer. I call this building your village. And building it and sustaining it is a matter of life and death. It's good for your health, it turns out, to be in rich communal relations with one another. All of the introverts, I feel you. Not too many. But what Susan Pinker is not talking about the quantity of relationships, she's talking about the quality of relationships. And this is a social social scientist, columnist, who is recognizing the power of community. And if a social science columnist from the Wall Street Journal can acknowledge that there is a certain intrinsic power to community, we as the church should feel the invitation of Jesus into community. And that's what I want to talk on this morning, the power of community, the invitation to community straight from the heart of God. It's, a, it's an intrinsic part of the heart of God. This, this heart that beats and desires for community, we even see it in original design. Even back to the very beginning in Genesis 2, 18, when the Lord God said, it is not good. He creates everything that we see, everything that we experience, and he calls it good. And then he says, it's not good. 
What's not good? It's not good for man to be alone. Any guys in the room? Not good for guys to be alone, is it? When left to our own devices? Thank you, women. We love you. (laughs) It's not good to be alone, God says. God says this. I will make a helper suitable for him. And so hopefully this morning the goal is to receive and then respond to the invitation of Jesus for community. For community. And I wanted to do that by way of a picture or a snapshot of the early church. If you wouldn't mind, if you have your Bibles and you wanted to turn there with me to Acts 2. The Acts of the Apostles. In chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, I believe we're given a glorious, just beautiful picture of who the church was in the early days as it's just in its infancy, as it's just getting going. And I believe also that we're given a model for what the church could be today. And so I want us to hear it as sort of a foundation, one, but two, also just a a launching point for dream and for vision. What could it look like today? You know, to open that, open that creative space up. What, what part do you play in all of this? So this is Jesus' heart for community. We read this. They, the early disciples, the early church, devoted, keep that word tucked away there. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone, someone say everyone. Everyone Everyone was filled with awe. And many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods. They gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes or you might have in your translation, from house to house. Who has that one? I love that one a little bit better than they broke bread in their homes. It's like this processional or a process from house to house and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So this beautiful picture of the early church, right? And how the early church functioned and just what the early church looked like. And there's a couple of key things that I wanted to tease out of the scripture this morning. And the first is that word devoted. That these people were devoted. In the etymology of the word devoted, definitely denoted here in the Greek, but also in the, in the etymology of how we use this word devoted in English, it, um, it, there's something in the definition of a vow. There, there's a commitment that you make. These people were committed. They were devoted. They were devoted to God, we see. They're devoted to four things, we read. They're devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the good news, to, to Jesus, to experiencing Jesus. And then they were devoted to one another. They were devoted to fellowship. They were devoted to breaking of bread. They loved getting a good meal on. 
They also loved gathering around the table of communion. Their community was devoted to celebrating and remembering the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Whichever way you want to take it, that's a good deal for community. And they were devoted to prayer. They were a people of prayer. Not because they had to, necessarily, but they were committed to just being with God for no other reason than to being with God because he's beautiful and wonderful. So all the things, the four things, the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to prayer, they were devoted to these things. And the results, Luke writes in Acts, were that everyone was filled with awe. How many of you know that it's impossible to experience awe and wonder, like almost impossible to experience awe and wonder without community being present? The thing, here's what I mean, the things that cause us to be in awe are meant to be shared. And the early church understood that. Everyone was filled with awe. They were together, it said. They weren't just taking up space in the same physical location or geographic location. When the scriptures say that they were together and had everything in common, or some of you might have together in one accord, they were together in heart and mind. They were on mission together. They weren't just gathered as a, a, a group of people might gather at a country club or at a sporting event. They were gathered for purpose and for mission and for meaning. And that spilled over into how they functioned. We read here that they sold property and possessions they gave to anyone, anyone who had need. I think of our Seeds of Hope ministry where we've served thousands of people this year. Thousands of people. And we don't think of those people as like, you know, those less fortunate people that we have to help out. They're part of our community. They're part of Vineyard Cleveland. The folks that we serve at Seeds of Hope aren't just fed physically. They're fed spiritually. They're our brothers and our sisters. They're part of our church. So mission is spilling out, needs are being met, and people are being saved. They're, they're together in one heart and one mind on a mission. The goal isn't community. The goal isn't unity even. The goal is just being with Jesus together. Do you see how unity here in Acts 2 with the early church is a byproduct? It's not the main deal. The main deal is Jesus. Unity happens as a result of that. Communities who gather around unity as the main central thing crumble quickly. But communities that are gathered around the person of Jesus and the mission of Jesus, those are the kind of communities that God bestows his favor and his unity upon, which we'll later see here in the scripture. Oh yeah, I receive it in the King James. Love it. Uh, yeah, so 
uh, this is a beautiful picture of what the early church is swimming in. So why, why is community so important? Why, why are we even talking about this this morning, painting this picture to focus on community? The why of community is important, and the why, the big why, is that because Jesus is there. Because Jesus, for no other reason than Jesus is there. We see in Psalm 133, 1 through 3, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters dwell in unity. It's like the precious oil on the head running down the beard, on the beard of Aaron running down the collar of his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon, Mount Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there, in the place of community, there where Jesus is lifted up, where Jesus is, the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Life forevermore. Matthew 18, 20, one of my favorite verses. I love it. This one is for you who are lonely this morning. Jesus speaks from the pages of Scripture. He says, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. What Jesus is saying here is that if you claim him as Lord, as Messiah, and you're working this thing of community out, you never walk alone. That you never walk alone. That you have folks in your corner. That you are a part of something bigger than yourself. You're not alone. You don't have to feel alone this morning because where two or more are gathered in Jesus' name, Jesus is walking the rows this morning. He's walking the rows and transforming our lives. He's putting his finger on and challenging places in our lives and in our hearts where we need to be transformed by his love. He's calling. He's placing callings on folks' lives this morning. Some folks will leave this morning with a calling that they didn't expect when they walked in. It could be a call to global missions. It could be a call to feed the homeless. It could be a call to clothe the naked. But some will leave here this morning because Jesus is walking the roads with callings that they didn't have when they walked in today. Where two or more are gathered, Jesus is there. That's the why of community. Jesus. He's central to it. So what's the what? What's the what? What's the what of community? And if you know another way, please tell me. But for following Jesus, I'm 43 now and I've got loads of room to grow um, in what it means to follow Jesus. You know, but in my 23 years of following Jesus, I don't know of another way that us human beings grow apart from Christianity. There is no Lone Ranger Christianity. There just is. You weren't meant to do life, the Christian life alone. The Christian, another way to put it is, the Christian life is impossible to live on your own. Impossible. You cannot do it on your own. You might call it the Christian life, but that's not what it really is. It's something else because the Christian life can only be lived out amongst others in community. And that's a a challenging and that's a convicting word in today's day and age. We'll go into why that is in a minute. So if there's another way, please let me know. So what we see that how we see that happening is in the context of small groups, whatever you want to call them. 
micro church, small groups, a, a monthly evening of worship, or Tabernacle of David, or whatever you want to call it. But if we can't go together, I don't want to go. To experience God's presence together is priceless, and He's set us up to function in that way. And all of this is based on the foundation of love. That seems kind of general, I understand. So let's make it a little bit technical because we can always talk about love in this way that's like pie in the sky and it doesn't really have any skin on it, right? But this is all based in love. It makes no sense without love. With Jesus at the center, he's the reason loving Jesus and loving one another, small groups are places where we can consistently experience the love of God for ourselves and express the love of God to other people. I don't know of a better lab to do that in. That's the lab. In 1 John 4.11, we read, Beloved, those who are loved, those who are loved by Jesus, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. I know I'm putting passion and emphasis on these words, but the scripture speaks for itself. I wouldn't have to. They're so deep. John is pouring it out here within the context of 1 John 4. I mean, he's just pouring it out in worship and he's saying, Beloved, if you could only know, beloved, if you could only know and realize how and, and feel and experience how loved you truly are by the King of creation, if God so loved us, we also ought to express that love to one another. He's pouring it out here. So it acts on the foundation of love, this thing, the what of community, acts uh, in, in the context of small group on the foundation of love. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this. He said, the person who loves their dream of community will actually destroy it. But the person who loves those around them will create community. Love that. Small groups provide a place for us to express and experience the love of God for ourselves and with others. For simply no other reason that we're lost in love with Jesus. That we've been captivated by this guy who went to the cross for our sins. And he didn't just do that. You know, he rose from the grave for love's sake, for you and for I. To completely obliterate the powers of hell and death. To be seated at the right hand of the Father. And then he doesn't just stop there. He, he gives us from, from deep within his heart this treasure of community. This gift of community and say, you don't have to do it alone. I mean, how beautiful is Jesus? I mean, how crappy would it be if he were to like, if he were, if he were like, yeah, dying on the sins for your cross, uh, dying, dying on the cross for your sins. I'm raising from the dead to conquer hell and the grave. Peace out. You're on your own. <laughs> you know, that'd be cruel. 
But he's so kind that he's like, I did all of that and then set you in a family. Psalm 86 or 68 says that he sets the lonely in families. How beautiful is the Lord Jesus to not leave us to our own devices, to not leave us trying to figure out, groping around in the dark. How do I follow God? Like, no, we get to grasp Clasp hands together and take one step at a time together in the presence of God. That is an eternal treasure deep within the heart of God given to men and women. That's beautiful. So small groups, micro church, whatever you want to call it, it's a place to grow local. And I really want us to hear this this morning because this is the re- this is this is the relevant part of the talk, the importance of learning from the one who's sitting next to you. In our day and age, when you say I'm going to be a part of this small group, I'm going to belong here. Even when you say I'm going to belong to a local church, for that matter, you are flying in the face of everything that culture is feeding us right now. If you think about how culture and society is operating right now, there is like this huge voice, you know. And he often has, you know, four or five million followers on his podcast weekly. There's tens of millions of people tuning in, waiting to hear from Joe Rogan, waiting to hear the new podcast episode. You know how many ears Joe Rogan has? 10 million listens every week. There's this disconnection in our world today that has never been on the face of the planet. Never been this way. The way that learning happens, the way that growth happens, the way that personal development and spiritual growth happens always has existed with learning from the one who is sitting next to you. Never until today has it been like, well, you know, I downloaded this podcast. And, it's, and I'm not devaluing large churches or folks with bigger platforms. I think that's great. You know, they're getting the word out and people are growing in their faith that way too, sure. But it's, it's not so much of devaluing that, in essence, but it's what we've lost in exchange or what we're losing in exchange for that. And what we're losing is so precious that I feel like when Sarah and I think about Vineyard Cleveland, like we're like the last bastion, you know? And I think we're right to think about our church that way, sure, I can't, to put it another way, I can't, I can't tell you what it's meant to journey along with, let's say, Mike Lowe for the past eight years and learn from him. There's old man, OMW is what I call it, old man wisdom that comes in the form of like I'm moving a heavy freezer and Mike is sitting off to the side just watching and gives that kind of look like that. And what I've learned is to stop whatever I'm doing in that moment and say, Mike, what you got? Because I know you've been here four or five times before. Learning locally is what we've lost. Growing locally is what we've lost in exchange for this mass, this sort of mass media, 
you know, this guy who lives, you know, in California, who, who doesn't see what you see, who doesn't experience what you experience in Cleveland, somehow we've exchanged the art of learning and growing locally for believing that this guy has some sort of sense of idea of what you're going through 3,000 miles away. That's why we encourage local songwriting here at our church. We want, to, we, want to, we want homegrown songs that come from the heart of Vineyard Cleveland because we believe that worship is prophetic in that way. That when Sarah or Karen or whoever writes a song for Billy, writes a song for Vineyard Cleveland, that they have you in mind. Sarah is seeing the same things that you see every day when you're going about shopping, picking up the kids, whatever you're doing. And so the prophetic voice of God comes through and that song somehow touches our congregation in a way that it couldn't if it were coming out of California. Do you see what I'm saying? Do you see the connection there? The same is true for how we grow spiritually from one another. Growing locally Gosh, if there's one thing for 2024, oh man, that's what I'm excited about. Growing locally, the importance of learning to the one sitting next to you. Proverbs 27, 17, iron sharpens iron. One man or one woman sharpens another. This is the lab. That's where we get it figured out. That's where we hash it out. Some guy 3,000 miles away could give a very challenging word. He may even convict you of sin. But Monday morning when you wake up and you're tempted by that sin again, he's not there. But you know who is there? Is your small group leader. Those who you're choosing to do life with. Those you can shoot out a text and say, you know, I'm having trouble with this or that. That person that is in your small group that you can say, hey, you know, can we get some coffee together? I'm having a rough go at it in my marriage. People that you can be real with, people that you can be yourself with, you can't get that from a podcast. You really can't. It's a place to grow local. It's a place to use our gifts. Romans 12, 4, and 5, as Billy mentioned this morning, for as one body, we have many members, and the members do not have all the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Fingers are not toes. I know I'm bringing deep wisdom here, guys. Fingers are not toes. I was watching this, uh, this comedy sketch. Uh, this, this couple, the wife <laughs> films her Italian husband who tries to like figure out the language. He's new to the States. Yeah, some of you guys, I forget what they're called, but they're hilarious. And the Italian husband is always mispronouncing or misunderstanding in English words. It's a hoot. It's really funny. And anyway, I think he stubbed his toe or something. And he, and he was like, ah, my fingers. <laughs> he, and he was like, well, these are called fingers. So these are called fingers too. But his wife is just cracking up and his wife are like, no, they're toes. And he said, but this is your thumb. 
And so I figured this, the big toe is your toe and the rest are fingers. No, no, the rest are not fingers. They're all toes. They're all toes. English is funny like that. Ben and I are geeking out again here at the hilarity of the English language. But fingers are not toes and toes are not fingers. As such in the body of Christ, we need one another. On the foundation of love, you have a part to play. No one else can be a big toe like you can be a big toe. We need you. The body of Christ needs you, right? Fingers are not toes. It's a place to use our gifts. Small groups are also a place to pour our love out to Jesus and to encourage one another. A weekly expression, an opportunity to pour our love out before Jesus, which we should all be doing alone. But how many of you know that it's so much more powerful to go together than to go alone? Romans 15, 5-7 says, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together, together, you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. And then in 1 Thessalonians 5.14, Paul again, We urge you, we urge you, brothers and sisters, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Small group is a place for us to encourage one another. Anyone need encouragement this morning? Gosh, that's the place where we encourage one another to grow, to stay the course, as Sarah was leading us this morning, to not give up. You're on the right path. Keep going. I know it seems like everything's falling apart right now, but keep your eyes on Jesus. We don't hear that from anywhere else. A lot of you are in situations, you're, you're shaking your head saying, yeah, I don't, I don't hear that sort of encouragement from my family. When we sit around a, uh, at a holiday or at a picnic, that's not the sort of encouragement I'm hearing. In small groups, in the context of community, that's where we're encouraged. That's where we feel, yeah, God does. There is a God, and he loves me. That's the place of encouragement. And so how do we respond? How do we respond as we close this morning? Because it's messy. Gosh, human beings. If we would just be straight lines, and we're not. Community is messy when we choose to devote ourselves like the early church did, to commit ourselves to God, to commit to one another, and to commit to others in the world. As the early church did, it requires a response from us. And that response is oftentimes messy. It's messy for a number of different reasons. I hear you asking why. Why is it messy? It's messy Let's just take one, because other people are annoying. <laughs> I'm annoying many of you right now. I realize that other people are annoying. One thing that we heard at the conference that I thought was just so gold, you guys, and I forget who said it. It might have been Jay. I think it might have been whoever quotes. But they said, in essence, that place it's time for the church, the vineyard, 
small groups, it's time for us as followers of Jesus to recognize that that place of annoyance could be the invitation to community. That that very place, that person who annoys you so much to no end, God could be putting that person in your life. Because God loves that person. Because God cares for that person. And not just that he cares for that person, but that he's put that person in your life to make you more like him. That's crazy. And so beautiful. It's so beautiful that you don't agree with everyone who goes to your small group or comes to this church. Isn't that beautiful? That's the tapestry that is, the mosaic that is the people of God. That God places annoying people in our lives to make us more like him. Gosh, I love him for that. So how, how do we respond? Hebrews 10, 24 to 25, the writer of Hebrews says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as in the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Our time is short. Life is precious. Today is a gift. I want to encourage some of you to respond this morning. I know that some of you, uh, for whatever reason, you may have been hurt within the context of church community before. You may have been hurt within the context of small group community before. You may have, like Sarah said this morning, uh, which I believe was prophetic, you may have said, you know, I've tried, I've tried, I've tried, I've tried, and God just hasn't answered. Some of you are not currently attending small groups. I want to encourage you to attend a small group. I want to encourage you, no matter how many times you've done it before, if you've never uh, attended a small group before, to sign up for one today to take a step and to sign up to attend a small group. That's where the community of God grows. That's where we grow as people. I want to encourage, it's just a step towards growth. And you can do that in a number of different ways. You say, well, you don't have one that suits my needs. You may be right. Preach. You may be right. When was community ever convenient? When? When was community ever convenient to me and my needs and what I need? It's in the inconvenience that I find that my needs are met by my Father who loves me. How many times have Sarah and I geared up for a a Wednesday night small group and we are tired as all get out, but something deep inside says, Just go. There's a blessing for you on the other side of it. Show up. Just show up. I want to encourage you that community is never convenient. Rarely to never. Rarely to never. Some of you know that you are supposed to be or desiring to lead a small group. I want to encourage you to take that step, regardless of what your life looks like, to step out. 
Why not here? Why not now? No community's got it all together. If they tell you they do, they're lying. We're all a mess. The place that you see yourself in in five years doesn't happen apart in leadership. I'm speaking to leaders directly. It doesn't happen just overnight. Like, oh my gosh, I'm here. It starts by acting. The place that you want to be in five to ten years in leadership starts today. Start leading a group. There are folks who need your leadership, who God has purposed in our church for you to lead, to shepherd, to draw close to Jesus. And when you withhold, we don't receive collectively. We don't grow collectively. I'm talking depth, not quantity. So I want to encourage you today, take a step. You may have kids running around. You may be in retirement. And that might be a tough word to hear. I'm just enjoying my retirement. You're saying I have to work again? Yeah, we need you. The church needs you. 